Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Osiris. All right, we are live. Um, it's HF Pod. How you guys doing? Doing great. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. A little tired, but I'm good. How are you, RJ? I'm good. I'm good. I'm not on like day day six of of show raging like you. <laughs> I know, you know, not everybody can do it, RJ, but you know, I try my best. I know, I know. You're you are great. good at it. Though. Um, you have that like energy thanks. that can handle it. And that like, I mean, I don't know if like inside you're like, I don't want to go to another show, but like you, you exude that, uh, that vibe. Thank you. Yep. No, I'm excited to go tonight. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's something about it. Acoustic music just hits me right. And, you know, Arabolo is kind of like emo. You know, it's just like you're all in your feelings the whole time. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's very feelings heavy. It's that yeah. that corner of Goose just like expanded to the whole show. I'm like, why are we crying all the time? But it's, good. <laughs> it's good. Like we need to cry. Men need to cry. There's a lot of men in the room the last two nights crying. It's good for us. It's good for society. A lot of vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. I think it's good. Um, okay. <clears throat> so fish news first. Well, here the, here's the fish news. There's Brian's going to Mexico. They're going to play in Mexico. Then they're going to play the sphere and then they're going to play a festival later. We don't know anything else. Is that about right. nothing else. Yeah. But well, we should find out soon. Right. Yeah. This is the time. It's the and time, yeah. Guys, I, I got to start planning my summer. Like, it is almost the I end know. of winter. I, I need a four-month runway to get this all going. Same. All right. So that, that's our fish news. Um, I want to tell everyone who is going to be in Burlington, Vermont, or wants to be in Burlington, Vermont, on March 1st and 2nd, we have these shows with the band Reprise, their first shows ever, Maiden Voyage, Burlington, Vermont, at Nectar's. It's going to be great. Um, they're going to play a full fish show each night. And I know what shows they are because I'm because I'm I'm the one who t- shows them. So <laughs> if you like them, 
then you can, you know, give me a lot of a lot of praise. Okay. So one more thing, Brian. I got a I got a text the other day from our from our mutual friend Ryan Jewell. Hmm. What a guy. Ryan Jewell. Great dude. And he um we were just chatting and he he mentioned that he's um I think he was like touring and doing a bunch of stuff and he's back. Um I think he's home for a while and he was like, Hey, if you know any friends or, or family who needs any music lessons, um, let me know. And so I told him that I'd give him a shout out on the show because he we all love him and he's great. And he he's a drummer, but he also does guitar, bass, uh, piano, all kinds of, of lessons. So if you're if you're thinking about music lessons, check out RyanJewel.com, J-E-W-E-L-L. Um, it's a good dude. Can I can great I musician. get a student testimonial for, for yeah, please. Jewel? Because please. I took uh, guitar lessons from him in the spring and summer of 2020. And uh, he's a phenomenal guitarist. He is the best music teacher I've ever had in my entire life. I've had music teachers before who like they make music feel so out of reach and so process oriented. And it was always so hard for me to take guitar lessons like my brain and music just did not work that way. And Ryan unlocked something for me with guitar and like got me thinking and playing on levels like in like weeks that I had no idea I was capable of because it just like he he made me see the neck of the guitar in a completely different way. Um, if I had more time, I would have continued taking lessons because I was just like so consumed by the guitar. But I, I recommend to anyone, if you just want like a different picture of an instrument, take lessons from Ryan Jewell. He is a musical genius and a wow. really good dude. That was totally unplanned. <laughs> totally unplanned. Okay, Brian, I have a quiz for you. Pop quiz. You ready? Pop quiz hot shot. Okay. I'm ready. What year did all these things happen in? Okay. Number one, Hurricane Andrew. Number two, Lawrence Eagleburger becomes the 62nd Secretary of State. Okay. Home Alone 2 comes out. Classic. Whitney Houston sets a then record with I Will Always Love You staying at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for 14 weeks. Um, Bill Clinton was elected president. The Washington Redskins, now the Washington Commanders, won the Super Bowl. And Jay Leno took over the Tonight Show. Do you guys know what year that was? Oh, sorry, one more. The premiere of Reservoir Dogs. There's one more thing that happened this year as well. What was it? The greatest sporting event of my entire childhood happened. My favorite game, aside from Game 7 of the 2016 World Series, happened. Can I just give you a quick aside before I tell you the year? Because <laughs> this is... I don't know if you guys know this about me. So, Game 6 of the NBA Finals in the early 1990s. I will tell you the year later. Um, screw it. The 92 Finals. It's all happened in 92. Game 6. The Chicago Bulls have a chance to repeat as champions at home against the Portland Trailblazers. They go down 15 points in the early third quarter. It's It looks like we're going to get a game seven. Phil Jackson pulls all the starters, puts in Cliff Levingston, Craig Hodges, Bobby Hansen, Scott Williams, like the scrubs. They're just trying to hold down the fort, give MJ and Pippen some rest so that they're fresh from game seven. But no, Bobby Hansen goes off. Craig Hodges goes off. Cliff Levinson gets some huge rebounds and the Bulls come back. But what happened before that? 
during the, the time when they went down by 15, my dad and I were so angry. We were yelling at the television that my mother took my brother and my baby sister upstairs. And she said, I can't watch this with you. So my dad and I are downstairs. My mom, my brother, and my baby sister are upstairs. The Bulls start to come back. We reunite as a family and watch them win the title <laughs> in Chicago and then go outside and set off fireworks. It is the reason why I think about sports the same way that I think about music. So 1992, what an amazing year. Wow, what an amazing story. Fireworks at the Brinkman household. <laughs> It was crazy, dude. It was crazy. <laughs> we were back to back. We we won two titles in a row. I, I I I was seven years old and thought it was the most normal thing in the world. <laughs> Little did it may, know. maybe it is. Little did I maybe know. It is. Yeah. yeah. For some people, it is. Um, <laughs> okay, so fans, or used to be. We're talking about '92, and if you haven't figured it out, the tour we're talking about today is Spring '92, and um, I guess we should talk quickly. Well, should we do the tour overview first, or should we talk about why it's where it is, or or where it is compared to the? Um, I think we do why where it is, and then we lead into the overview. Okay, I think well, it'll segue into it. How about that? Okay, well, I will tell you that we are, you know, we're kind of going off on our going off on our own here because this was ranked number thirty four by the fan vote, but twenty four by us. So you know, it jumped a lot, and I, I have some things to say about this tour but um why was it ranked 34 and why did we rank it 24 before we get into the tour overview i think one of the reasons why it was ranked lower is because there's a lot of repetition on this tour you know a lot of the same songs played a lot of the same way and the tour has kind of two major sections and it really changes so i think the tour is not a tour that you can say it just has this one theme to it because it's so separate in my mind at least so I can see why there's, you know, there's definitely an argument for it being lower. But I think when you think about where it was and what was coming next, you know, you're thinking about this band. This is the the fourth year of their like most prolific years of touring. And so they're really been working. And this is their last year. They're not going to play amphitheaters, but they know that's coming. You know, they're going to spend this next summer doing all of the prep, like touring with Violent Femmes and Santana and learning how to do amphitheaters. Mm. And and this is the last time that they're going to do a tour before that prep. So they know that they're really working on like building audience connection. And also once they've kind of settled that and get gotten out West and they can kind of like stretch out a little bit and are playing smaller shows, then they start to just totally go like turn inward and get into their improv and really think about how they can communicate as a band and get weird and psychedelic. And it's to me, this tour is is so interesting because it does change so much throughout it. But listening to the tour as a as a big piece, I mean, there's like 54 shows. It definitely feels like there's a lot of the same, especially in the first you know month and a half. Brian, Brian, can I ask a question just to that you can yeah. address or not address in your response to what Megan's saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess is this tour more about what what it represents than it than it is about the music? Hmm. I think there's, I think there's a fair argument to that. I mean, I think part of the reason I, I think to answer your question and like where I, why it's rated where it is, I think a lot of fans um, just don't listen to it all. I think Megan's right. Like it contains a lot of the same stuff. Um, and I think to Megan's point, like they know that they're growing in a certain direction and they know that they've been on this very focused, um, you know, kind of, 
uh, chiseling away all the fat and like making their shows as tight and engaging and entertaining and a variety show of every little thing that fish does well for four years and that that's working and it's building a word of mouth fan base so that what is coming next is they're going to take this big economic and professional leap and they're going to dive off into, uh, amphitheaters and say, if, see if, you know, they can take this up a level. So yeah, like it's, the, it feels in a way like a band, it almost reminds me, uh, I was, I, I texted you guys this, but, um, it reminds me of like a small business that knows it's about to take this leap and they got to like standardize processes and they got to make sure that things can get to like scale. So it's like a very exciting time, but it's also the time where you're like, do we have all the organizational tools in place to actually do this for real? And so there's, there's more of like a purposefulness to it than there's some highlights musical. But like that is not necessarily the point as it will be for later tours. Um, so in some cases, it feels similar to what we talked about last week, where Fall 96 feels very purposeful as the band's transitioning. But that definitely has a few more highlights scattered throughout that you can put on like a jam playlist. Can we just um, address Victor's uh, comment here watching on YouTube? Availability of music on Live Fish has an impact on my perspective. Do you Huge. think, um, <clears throat> I guess, for, you totally. know, that only, obviously that only appeal, like, applies to anything pre 2003, right? So do you think some of these tours from pre 2003 are going to be ranked lo lower because of the availability of, of shows? I think definitely pre 94, because I think the band knows yeah. that like 94 to 99, they can kind of release a show from any of those years and people will freak out. But I do agree with Victor. We'll talk about this as we go through there are three shows in particular that I have no understanding why they haven't been officially released. And there's certain shows from that 94 to 99 range that like you could take out and throw in yeah. one of these mammoth spring 92 shows more than anything to give people more context. But what are your thoughts, Meg? Yeah, there's only four shows on live fish from this year and one from May of this tour. It's right. there's like, not the anything tour, right? from April. Yeah. It's May 17th from Schenectady. There's, Nothing from the April run, which to me is just absolutely insane. I'm just surprised. Those shows are pretty epic. Like, and I think it does affect it, especially if you listen to Fish only on live Fish now. It sounds so good. And listening to it on re-listen, it's a bit of a struggle sometimes. You know, you have to yeah. like you have to deal with you're listening to audience or soundboards that aren't, you know, archivally released. It's it definitely impacts it. It's tough. You have to kind of commit to it, but I really enjoyed listening back to these, especially the April shows. They're wild. Excited I, to talk I, about them. I think that um, I think that one argument maybe would be that just you know some of the most famous shows from this tour are um, soundboard releases, right? You're right. I think that's the thing like about they were yeah. available as soundboards yeah. in in the family. There's a lot of tapes from this tour, a and lot. they they kind of you know I think <clears throat> like Lenny or Craig or someone would could tell us more specifically, but there was a point where they stopped allowing, you know, patches into the soundboard on every show. I think it was like 93 because starting in 94, things got a little bit harder to get soundboards. I think through 90, at least mid 93, maybe late 93, they were allowing tapers to patch in. So you get these like really good soundboard recordings that circulated. But then after that, like, I think that's where the live fish releases become more important. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, good comment here from noted smart fish fan Jackson Richards. Honestly, this could have been a 
top 10 tour and i wouldn't have been surprised pre-94 fish in its own mind-blowing beast there is that like sense like when we go back and forth between the purposefulness and like they play their songs really really well on this tour and there's a lot of like really good humor and audience connection we're going to get into all of it but like this is pretty foundational in terms of who fish will present themselves as um as they move forward I just want to say, Jackson, um, it's been a while since you became a parent of twins, but I hope it's mm. going okay. Let me know if you very, need any very gear. The thoughts with you. <laughs> <laughs> got a lot like, of get the stuff out of my house. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of stuff in the basement. Um, okay, cool. There's like That's parents great. who understand each other, and then there are parents of, tw- of twins who understand each other, and like I exactly. am not on that level. It's a totally <laughs> different alive thing. With a question mark. With a question mark. Alive. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, Meg, do you want to tell us about what's going on with this tour? Yeah, let's do it. So right before the tour, we have a picture of Nectar, which is released in February. It's the first major label debut with Elektra. But of course, these songs had all been played live. So um, the first show in March is when the band really starts to play the new Rift songs, which they'll record in this fall and then release, obviously, in 1993. But this tour is 54 shows from March 6th to May 18th. It's pretty monster. It's a huge national tour. It's going to go east, southeast, midwest, west coast, northwest, midwest, and then back to the northeast. They're playing theaters and colleges. This is the last year with no amphitheater. We've got some guests. We've got Carl uh, John Hopper, Carl Gerhard. They're going to do some fun stuff with Colonel Bruce Hampton, with Aquarium Rescue Unit, and then they've got widespread opening for them as well. This is when they officially introduce the secret language instructions, and we also have the boss symbols and the invention of the bag vac. That's kind of the the tour data and Can 109 I- jamming tour entries. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just want to say one one quick thing, which I, I don't know if it's relevant, but it is to me, which is that this is the last year with the like toy toy piano. Yes. Yeah, the grand piano, right? Starts in the spring ninety three. Yeah, yeah, right early after ninety three. Yeah. So you hear some really nice soloing from Paige in this tour, but it's um, you know, it just it it levels up so much in ninety three that it's 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 pretty amazing. I did a really insane thing back in the spring of twenty fifteen. Uh, it was it was the first <laughs> spring that I had the re-listen app. Uh, I listened to every single spring 93, 92, 94, and summer 95 Shocking. show on its anniversary, um, which just was insane. It was like four months of – I literally had no time for anything but fish. I didn't so listen to you listen to music. every – so if there was like – it was like March 17th. You listened to every show from March 17th in those three Correct. years? Of those three years, yeah. Uh, it was crazy. <laughs> but it was really, really wild on a day-to-day basis to go back and forth between how tight and warm and happy and youthful they sounded in 92, but also how once you got to a 93 show, the entire sound changes. It's so much fuller. It's so much more professional. That grand piano added so much to just like song playing, which we will talk about when we get to that tour because it's coming up. Yeah, the yeah. gear, the gear, you can hear them like being better than the gear they're on at this in this tour. Like they sound yeah. like they deserve better. Yeah. They're just like saving up for a big payday, which has come in with Santana, where they can yeah. upgrade all of their equipment. <laughs> um okay. <clears throat> Megan, thank you for all that all that data. How many gym how many gym chart entries? <laughs> One oh nine, one oh nine. More than I think what? that there actually are. I, mean, I would have. Yeah, it's I a little. I think it's like, generous. I would have generous. entered like one. 
And they're all from like one week, basically. <laughs> I wow. No, it's not true. This must have been I done love... during the hiatus, you know, when someone who was doing was just like, God, I miss fish so much. Like this spring ninety two tour, this eight minute runaway gym is just my boy. <laughs> I love exactly. fish.net so much and all the people out there. So Charlie, don't come at us with a nasty text or email. You guys gotta separate debuts from jam chart entries like just because a song debuted does not mean it's a part of the jam chart and just because it has like 12 seconds of something different like there should be a notable performance chart a debut chart and a jam chart which yes i could probably be the person to do that but i don't want to right now i just want to i want to preview (laughs) charlie's text by saying you know that fishnet is all volunteer exactly exactly and you're welcome to get involved if you want to absolutely he's absolutely Um, right okay so let's i guess let's talk quickly just about the kind of our theme so I guess the big the big theme really is like, you know, on the 416 show, Trey says this is our first time in Southern California. And then like that kind of changes the whole tour. I mean, we talked about Fall 96 last week and I felt like there were, as I mentioned, like a few turning points in Fall 96. But here there's at least one big one when they get to California. So my my theme or question is like, what what do you think happened? I mean, was is it just is it just that they were out in California and California allows you to just, you know, smoke a lot of weed and relax or what do you think happened? I want to hear your thoughts, Meg, before I go. Whenever I think about this tour, I think that March seems to be really about like the connection with the audience. They're playing for crowds that they know, know them. And so they're doing tons of secret language, tons of jokes, so much banter. It's kind of like giving the audience what they want and also playing just super precise, really playful, really tight, really fast. Like there's just this contained feeling to it of like, this is what we do. This is how we do it the best we can. And we're fun and we're silly. And we're like, there's a lot of like Zappa energy. And then in April, it's like, they just seem to kind of like let loose of the reins and they turn into themselves. They're playing really small venues and they're not probably they don't realize they're being like watched as much. I think, you know, I think the stakes feel lower out there and it's just so interesting watching them kind of just like start to really just let loose in their jamming and like listen to each other and go new places. And they start doing less silliness, less like secret language. And the beginning of the month in April, the jamming is like really shreddy and fast and energetic and like almost jazzy. And by the end, it's really more exploratory and melodic and, playing with dissonance and it's just interesting hearing that change and i think yeah it has to do with the pressure being released a little bit and probably you know they're listening to a lot of nirvana <laughs> they're getting cool you're smoking humboldt weed you know it's like it's heady it's like heady at west i think it's similar to kind of how they felt when they went to colorado in 88 it's just like this place they can kind of like relax and, and try new things that's my take I think that's really, really astute. Um, I think that, yeah, they, they, they're playing to these very friendly crowds and they get a lot of confidence and then they do this thing that fish, this move that fish makes where once they get out where people aren't paying attention, suddenly they just take it up a level and they feel a little bit more confident and a little bit more comfortable. Uh, Justin Bruce notes, 
a tour that starts on one side of the country, goes to the other and comes back is mind blowing <laughs> in the best way. They will do two more of these. They will do this Same. in spring 93 and the spring summer 94 tour. And then they will never do this again. Every other tour is either confined to a region um, as we see a lot here in 3.0 and 4.0 or will start on one side of the country and go to the other. So the idea of like looping back around and they know by the time they get to uh, those mid-April shows out in California, like this is it. We are starting the journey back home and now they're going to come back and within three weeks be playing for those same people that they played for in March, but they're now playing at another level. Like you just hear yeah. all of those things happening all together. Also California rules. True. It's great. I don't know why I ever left. Um, it's one of the things Every time I go there, I'm like, I want to move here. I don't care how I much know. it costs to live here. I want to live here. I think the thing is when you live there, then you do care how much it costs to live there. That's a part of it. True. Um, okay. So 90, how many jam chart entries? 109. 109. Yeah, but wow. the, some of them are really like seven minutes. Like the song is seven minutes. It's on the jam chart. I don't think I mean, unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I mean, are we going to get, should we get straight into this? Because I think we need to, we need please. to get into Let's this. So, okay. I guess I don't want to steal anyone's thunder, but I think what I just want to say that this was one of the notable things to me about this tour is that it has the first great. Great fish jam. Yes. The first great fish jam. And if anyone wants to argue with me, that's totally fine. I mean, there's like you enjoy myself, you know, jams that are fine. There's some mics, I guess like maybe like that whipping post from like 1986 or something. But <laughs> this is really like, you know, the four the 421 tweezer yeah. is the great the first great fish jam. Right into Tila. Yes. And mm. that's sh that show we can talk about is just really great from the start. But that that jam I think is the jam of the tour, um, if if not the year. But what do you? I'm sure you both liked that jam. So what what do you? Um, or do you agree with that take? And 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 what do you think about that jam? Yeah, I wasn't even going to bring that jam to the table because I just knew one of us was going to. Um, exactly. It's, 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 this is you know akin to the Denver Ghost um, for that uh, that era. Um, what's up, Neil? Yes, hey, jam yeah. of the year. Um, Ryan Storm. When we do the 1992 jam bracket, get ready, baby. A lot of eight minute runaway gyms. We got to. No. Uh, to me, the, the simplest way to put it is you hear Mike and um, Trey just completely lock in on a riff that sounds yeah. unlike anything that they've played within a jam. A lot of tweezers around this era are very kind of uh, angular rock. Like they just like peak and it's like, well, I would have, well, I would have, well, I would have, pop. You know, it's like a <laughs> lot of just like, um, <laughs> Side note, that is our second <laughs> episode in a row where one of us has tried to vocal jam the style of music <laughs> that Fish played, which I think that we should keep going. Uh, did I, who did it last time? Megan? You did it last time. Oh, you, I did. you both did it for... I think I did something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's our vocal jam contribution yeah, for the episode. too bad. Um, Tweed. They, they lock in on this like very... <laughs> this like very beautiful but really weird riff and they play it around each other. And then they, uh, 
disorient it and like distort it and like take it off in this like totally different direction. And that is a move that fish will make over and over and over again. Like that is their bread and butter throughout 93 and 94 and parts of 95. And you literally hear them. Like if you listen to the entire tour, there are some good jams leading up to this point, but there is nothing like this moment until it happens. And to your other point, RJ, there are some great eighties jams. I will stand the 11, 23, 85 whipping post until I'm blue in the face. The seven twenty three eighty eight uh curtain with into Dave's energy guide. Oh my God. But like, there is almost nothing like this in fish history until this point, And this will impact all of their jamming going forward. Jam of the year. Yeah, for sure. J-O-T-Y. It's such an important version. And it's, you know, this is like the beginning of tweezers, like, the jam vehicle of all time. It's exciting. That too. Yeah. This like line in the sand. Yeah. Um, this person, first time commenter, J.M. Hart, says the stakes are so high. Hey, um, cultivating new territory is massively daring and the sense of no one looking is real. That's yeah. It's just, I don't think we talked specifically about that, but I mean, it is their first time in California. And you look at some of these dates, which we'll talk about in some of these cities where they go on to play dozens of shows since then. And just like, you couldn't imagine shows not happening in, you know, San Francisco and um, some of these other cities that they hit for the first time. It's just really, it's, it's pretty cool. Really cool. Um, does anyone else have a jam? I do. I will go ahead. Yeah. Um, I chose this one because I just kept thinking about it. So it's the Mike's Weekapog from Anaconda from 416. Mm. And I don't think it's like the best jam on the tour, but I felt like you had to have a Mike's groove in there just because every Mike's Weekapog on this tour, especially once they're in California, is awesome. They're just so filled with so much tension and so much kind of explosive energy. And this Mike's especially, there's like the scenery chewing playing from Trey. Mike is on just like monster beats. I also just want to stop and say, Mike is turned up so loud on the mix on this tour. And I love it. I love it. You can't really hear Paige very much, but like Mike sounds incredible. And he's just building these like monster beats with Trey and this Mike's. It just has this really demented ending. And the Weekapog is so interesting. You hear them messing with the structure of the song and Trey playing some really super delicate notes, like just a few minutes in similar to that, that tweezer that's going to come later at 421. It's just, they get really quiet and delicate in Weekapog, which is so interesting that they're going to do that. They dance around the melody a lot and then they have a fantastic jam and they have a perfect peak and back into Weekapog. And for me, it's just, I was texting with you both about this song, you know, Weekapog to me is just and maybe because I've kind of forgotten about what 92 Weekapogs were like, but it's always just a song that just kind of caps off the end of Mike's groove. You know, it's just that party, that celebration, that fun, to me, a bit of a throwaway. Like, okay, we know we're going to get like a big celebratory moment and it's over. But these 92 Weekapogs, like they go places. They're interesting. They're they're playing with them. It's a framework that they really explore a lot in. And it's a song that you wouldn't expect them to explore a lot in, especially now. But it's exciting to hear this one. And I really love this version. I kept thinking about it and listening to it. Yeah, we definitely needed a Mike's Week Pog. It's it's interesting. Like Week Pog, um, we're gonna get into a very good era for it a year from now. Um, spring ninety-three week of pogs are insane. But like the song itself just sounds to me like the feeling of like confetti going off at a rock show. It's just yeah. like joyous and excitement. And you're right, like we definitely get 
it definitely in a lot of eras feels like okay mike's groove is over even in like 95 when there were killer mike songs going into weekapog sometimes weekapog felt like an afterthought obviously some amazing versions around that but like um it does feel like that joyful celebratory moment um when it goes dark and weird it kind of adds something even further because it's coming from a happy place it's it's like yeah. um the modern equivalent of like when backwards on the number line jams you know it's this very or like blaze on these like very happy uh you know kind of stereotypical uh like joyful fish hippie vibes that like someone from the outside could see but then it goes into this weird dark place it's like okay there's another side to all this so um yeah that's a good pick i the 320 week of bog is also one i'd love to shout out to people they should definitely check that out that's one of my favorite mm. shows um but i want to note the 48 david bowie from albuquerque um this does not get to like the hyper connective space that the tweezer does, which is what makes that so re-listenable. But this definitely expands the idea of what David Bowie can do more than any version I'd heard to this point in, in fish history. It's about 18 minutes long, which is not a timestamp you typically see in spring 92, unless it's you enjoy myself. Um, so you definitely get a lot of widening space. It, this is kind of, you know, they just come out of Colorado, go into New Mexico. So this is like one of the first shows where they're going to play New Mexico, Arizona, Southern California, and be in a part of the country where nobody really knows them. And like, they are really planting their flag for the first time played here a couple of times, but like, not really. Um, and you just hear them kind of that, that energy Jonathan was talking about, like the sense that no one is looking comes through on this David Bowie. It's very weird at times. You hear hints of 1993, 1994 in there, a little bit of darkness, but still that the comfort zone is humor. And so there's a lot of like really hilarious moments within the jam and a lot of moves that they're going to make within the jam that are less like, let's dive deep into this you know, unknown kind of dark terrain and see where that goes and more let's like balance out darkness and light so that we don't lose the audience totally. And that kind of fear of what will happen when we totally go off into the unknown and we abandon humor and the jam is just like all this musical experiment is something they haven't really done before and something they're going to do a lot more. Yeah, the, that's a good call. And David Bowie's are kind of a mixed bag pre 93, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but, but kind of really utilize the way it is now where it's like a set closer that just yeah. rocks. And this is the first one that's like, whoa, we can do something more. Like we would kill for this version today. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd yeah. take a 92 Bowie over a 2023 <laughs> Bowie. <laughs> There's some good ones on this tour. There's like 417 is really good too. That's one with the catapult at the end. Yeah. It's like really yeah. Like yeah. driving Stopping on a dime. And then they're like in that crazy oh. solo. And then they just stop. And then they're like, just sing a line of catapult. And then they're like, it's really, back into the, it's, uh, it's really exciting. Very yeah, exciting. I love that version. Um, I just want to give a shout out to a March show because there, there's a really, there's some highlights, even though I think we all agree that the March dates are more or less like you could kind of, um, you know, you kind of skip through them or at least skip around and, and check out highlights. Um, the 314 Reba is really good. And and I think you could argue like at least in by March of 92, maybe it changed it by April, but like Reba, like a Reba jam was kind of the coolest thing that could happen at a fish show I think, <laughs> in 92. You know, it's like, yeah. this one's really great. Fishman's awesome. Trey is like, it's just a, what a great song and, and a great version. And I wanted to just, just in terms of their New York, um, rise it, it kind of reflects 
you know, obviously their national um, profile raising in those years. But so they they first play in New York in 88 at Tramps and then Kenny's Castaways, two shows in 88, the U- Ukrainian National Home in 89, the Marquee in 1990, the Academy in 1991, Roseland in 92. They don't play in, in New York in 93. And then they play at the Beacon in the spring of 94. And then, of course, at MSG late 94. So you go from... wow. You know, whatever Kenny's Castaways is, which sounds like (laughs) probably I'm sure it's not there anymore to MSG in six years. And it's just it's it's pretty it's it's pretty cool to to kind of think about that and to see how how much they rose, you know, I mean, and that's like it's not easy to do that in New York, of course. Right. You you know, and six years later, they're for for ears. Yeah, it's just it's amazing. Um, I just want to just quickly. um Kenny's Castaways was um, called a dusty and dim New York music club that, was, that closed its doors in 2012. It looks like a really... Wow, 2012. It like lasted a little bit. That's, you know. Yeah. It sounds like a bar at like a beach. I don't understand. It does. It really does. It looks like a pretty cool in inside, like the... Anyway, we could go, you know, we could go through and do a video or, or photo tour of Kenny's Castaways like we did for um, in the past. But I don't think we have time for that because we're not even talking about Kenny's Castaways, really. Um, <laughs> um, all right. RJ's so, the one, by the way, who sent us like the text before. Like, we have to keep the show on track. We've got a time limit today. And here he now is. Now we're talking about venues do. that the band didn't even play. <laughs> and not even in 92. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, all right. Did we go through our, our, our two jams or did I just do two jams? Uh, You want to do some, some honorable mentions? Brian's probably got a list. I got a list. He's got a list. I got a little bit of list I'd like to share. Um, I want to throw out the 313 run like an antelope and big black furry creature from Mars mashup. This ends the first set in Providence. Um, this is very much a jam chart entry. Antelope gets really weird. Big black furry creature from Mars. This is kind of what I was talking about with like the Bowie and why that tweezer is so monumental because like this antelope gets very strange and could just abandon antelope. And rather than fully abandon it, they segue into big black furry creature from Mars. And this is kind of a move we're going to hear basically up until um, uh, summer 95 when they kind of abandon the idea of the segue within a jam. Like this is kind Mm. of what fish is going to be doing you think about those summer 94 mashup sets or like the Roxy second set or how the bomb factory like goes from tweezer into sparks back into tweezer, all these things, the antelope from uh, Tinley park 93. This is kind of an early version of that where we're going to take two songs, blend them together within a jam. And um, it's just fun to hear like as they're, as they're developing here. Um, the 418 hood, I think, should get a shout out. It goes into a very, very beautiful Linus and Lucy jam that uh, I highly recommend people listening to if they have not. Um, and then the uh, 5-2 David Bowie, which goes into another humor move, the band crew football theme song. Did you guys listen to this? Yeah. At all? <laughs> this is really ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, in the middle of the jam, it gets like very heavy metal and dark and Trey starts chanting band football theme song. And like the place just is going wild. <laughs> and then they like make it very light and pretty and airy. And he sings crew football theme song. It's just like hilarious, hilarious stuff that like would never happen today, but is so fishy. 
There's so much of that on that t- on this tour. Like the show I'm going to talk about is my favorite show. It's like there's like a million times when they go in and out of songs and like making jokes with each other. It's just it's yeah. it's wild. It's still so fun. It's just so silly. It it shows that like comedy is like its own form of improvisation. Like when people are like really funny back and forth with each other, there's like a contagious aspect to that. And yeah. these guys know each other. Like they're going to translate this into deeper, weirder, more experimental, darker music in coming years. But like now the way to communicate is through humor. And these guys think they're fucking hilarious. The entire tour, you get the sense that Trey thinks he's the funniest person on the planet. (laughs) Totally. And you think about like how much time they're spending together in like some gross van, you know, I mean, they're driving, they're spending the whole year just like driving around, like conditions don't really improve till 93. So like they're definitely... They're, that's how you survive, you know, living in the close quarters with like people like that, I think. So yeah. you can hear that for sure. That's probably true. Um, speaking of close quarters, I need a break from you guys. Let's take a quick ad break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. All right, we're back. Representative shows of the tour. Actually, you know what? Let's let's talk about the defining sound first. Okay. Yeah. Whatever you, you want to do, RJ. <laughs> You're would, in charge, boss. Hey, I love being in charge. How <laughs> how would you all define the sound of Spring '92? When I think of Fish, and I think of the purest version of Fish, I think of this tour. Uh, this is the sound to me mm-hmm. that is like fish in my brain. Everything else is like a diversion off of this. But I think that like that is ultimately really zany energy, extremely tight plane that is fascinated with riding off the rails, even when they're slightly afraid of the results of what would happen if they do that. Um, I noted before we went to break, you know, the they think they're, they're hilarious. There's just a lot of humor within, like there's just a lot of like color and effervescence that like bubbles out of all of these uh, performances, even a very standard straightforward version, perhaps why there's 109 jam chart entries, but like, <laughs> it's very bright. It's very colorful. It's very humorous. And it is a band that is taking the music seriously 
while taking everything else as kind of a joke. Yeah, I like that. To me, it's like tight and fast in the first part of the tour and then really playful and exploratory once they hit California. Yeah. I, I noticed um, the difference in, in those two, kind of the two tours, if, if as it were. Like Trey is playing, I think the 91 and 92 are known as like the time when you're getting like the most precise and fast playing from everyone. You know, that's kind of like mm-hmm. you guys were saying. I, I hear Trey like in, in April playing more, you know, as aggressively, but also like mixing in more fills and compliments to the main riffs in, in April. It seems like he like starts to kind of like open up a little bit and not just play them like the straightforward kind of um, riffs in a song. Like he's, he's kind of, he's just filling in space more creatively, which I think is, um, I don't know. It's, again, it's like the California magic, if you will. Yeah. Nice shout out there. Yeah. Nice, uh, nice. Maybe I'll hear that tonight. Maybe. Yeah, nice advertising <laughs> for the world tour. Arabolo. The world tour. Yeah, the world tour. Uh, um, okay. Don't, your two don't miss shows of the year. Or one I'm going to let now. you guys go first. Yeah, I'm going to let you guys go first because I want to – I have a – I think that there are two we have to mention. I want to give you guys the chance to do it. Oh, God, I hope I get one of them. Okay, so the show that I picked as my one don't miss show of the tour is 421, uh, the Eureka show. I just feel like yep. it has to be said. You know, I think that whole run is is so important to listen to, but this show is so heady. It's like at a fairgrounds. It's the smallest show on the tour. It's in Humboldt County. And if you were around in the 90s, Humboldt County was like, that was the headiest place there was. That was where all the weed came from. That was like where anybody sold you weed, they told you it was from there, even if it wasn't true. Like that was what like everybody was like, this is Humboldt weed. It's a it's a cool place. Like it's just, and they get there, they're on this fairgrounds so and the Redwoods, like this show is a great set list. Almost every single song at the show goes somewhere interesting. It's just, it's wild to listen to. Like two, three songs in, you get this incredible little mini jammed out, split open and melt. The possum intro, super extended, tons of secret language. They build up anticipation wildly through that song. We've got a great ending to It's Ice, page on the organ, into Eliza, and then like a super cool intro to NICU. I love this NICU. They're doing that like do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. They're like singing. It's so cute. And then you've got this set closing Bowie, which is like, it gets super fascinating. It's dark. It's growly. It's like a glimpse into like future evil fish. And then second set, they go full on evil. This Forbins is absolutely terrifying. Trey was like definitely on something because this is the scariest story about evil Wilson. It's so creepy. And then you have this wild tweezer. It's, it's super melodic. It's super interesting. It's so important. Like we've talked about, you know, you've got Trey singing that tweeze it's like very <laughs> weird and just he's having so much fun like brian you said he thinks he's like the funniest person alive it's great and of course you've got like the 1992 awesome mike's groove another like spiraling psychedelic jam and mics and then week of pog is like huge tension and release perfection and then the end is crazy they end up like there's so much madness they play lively up yourself trays on drums fishes on the bass Mike is on guitar and then he, Mike plays the vacuum. Like, come on. First like, and only. Mike 
right? First and <laughs> only, first lively only. up yourself. Like, and the first time and only time wow. that Mike plays the vacuum. And like, just knowing who Mike Gordon is now, like his like Ken doll Mike, can you imagine him like getting up and playing the fucking vacuum? Like, that's hilarious. Nope, not happening. It's just, it's not happening. It's so wild. I mean, he would have like way too many like scarves on for that now, but like, I just imagine him like, I'm trying to imagine like, <laughs> the scarf would Mike definitely get caught in the vacuum. <laughs> get like sucked up. <laughs> his shoes would get scuffed. It just wouldn't work. But like, you know, there's just like this freedom that I feel like is in this show that's just intoxicating. And it's if people haven't listened to it or haven't in a while, you must. I just want to um, just just to add to that, Megan, I, we talked about the tweets earlier, but the show is so like energetic and hot from the start. In, in Uncle Pen, oh, which is the second song, yeah. Trey's like vocalizing over the notes while he's playing. You know, he's yeah. like, exactly. you're like, what are you, what are you doing? He's just, <laughs> he's so into it. And so like, you know, they, they were definitely on, uh, just on in general. I agree. Maybe on drugs. Yeah, this, this show has that sense of, have you, have you guys been to Humboldt County? No. I have. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I imagine you had, cause you lived in San Francisco. It's I, a I, scary. It's like actually a scary place. I spent a month in October 2012 uh, uh, trimming marijuana on a weed farm, um, <laughs> which I was paid $10,000 in cash, which funded uh, the remainder of um, my wife's and my time on the road before we got to South Korea. And it is a very, very strange place. Uh, it is it is insane how remote you can feel in um, like California. Like you are within four hours of San Francisco and you feel like you are in a different time zone, it, it, like a different time and place. It's very wild. Um, definitely creepy. The show has the entire <laughs> vibe of that area. I went to a amazing concert on Halloween 2012 in a warehouse off the side of a two lane highway uh, on a lot of drugs. And I don't know how we made it home that night. But we got home, we had pizza, we were in like a really creepy motel, and um, it was wild. Uh, this split up in a melt is so wild from the show. So Incredible crazy. Stuff. Yeah, awesome show. We, um, my wife and I drove cross country in 2007, five, 2005. I mean, we drove cross country a bunch of times, but I think the time that we stopped in Humboldt was in 2005, and we went into like a weird hotel to check in and then like we walked down like a highway to go to like a bar that had live music and this like weird guy who was wearing like a button down shirt with nothing underneath and wasn't buttoned was like sitting next to us <laughs> talking to us about something it was really weird it like felt like a david lynch movie like the whole thing yes, it was like yes it was like foggy. it has an entire vibe totally. it's such a vibe you're like foggy it's off scary. center and you're like yeah. Am I at a? Am I in the yeah. wrong here? Like, right. am I just the weird one over here? It's so crazy, man. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Um, go What's ahead. What's next? I, oh, wanna, go. I, I, I just want to say. Oh, sorry. Do you want to go? No, you go. I want to just say the the April eighteenth. Um, that whole. I mean, we're kind of in the. You know, we're in this yeah. run of shows here, but um, the four eighteen show is really great. I just want to talk about the the Harry hood real quick, because you, you mentioned this, Brian, and this is a pretty like, you know, well-known version. Um, but I was thinking about it during this because it's a really good version. Um, it was only played 12 times on this tour out of, you know, 54 shows. And wow. 
you know, the like for example, just by comparison, so twelve times they played Hood, they played Stash twenty eight, they played Rift thirty, they played Runaway Jim twenty six, Reba twenty five. So like it wasn't played that much. You enjoy myself twenty two. And do you guys know what the most common song played on the tour was? Eighty seven percent of shows. Bouncing. Mike's. Uh, Has that to be a riff song? Cold as ice. Oh, of course, of course. Cold as ice. (laughs) 47 times. No. Well, that was like the hold your head up music, right? Yeah. And and it doesn't even, um, on on, David Steinberg's, he doesn't even count the, you know, in in and out as two. It counts as one. It's one. So it's... Anyway, the hood was just not that common in this tour, but when when it when they played it, it I think all the versions were really good, but this one was great. I, that whole show is just again really great. A lot of a uh, lot of squirt gun breaks. Oh yeah. Just really <laughs> great. Great show. Yeah. Uh the first mine left body happened in the middle of its ice in the first set of that show. Um all right, my strategy slightly backfired here, so we're going to have to mention another show, but I'm going to have to mention a show in the meantime because this is the show that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, this is my favorite show from spring 1992, and I think it is a very representative show. We have to give some shout-out to March here and March 20th from the Broome County Forum. Um, I just want to read this first set for you guys because these things don't happen anymore. And I remember getting this tape and just being like, <laughs> I may never need to listen to any other fish again. Like this is all of the great fish songs in one set. Uh, Wilson, Reba, Brother, Glide, Rift, Fluffhead into Maze, the Lizards, Mound into Run Like an Antelope. Like it's just like at this point classic, in fish's history, yeah. like they just had classic songs to play. So every show, I mean, that's one thing I love about this tour overall is like, it may be samey, but you just press play on something. And it's just like one fish hit after another and stuff. That's fairly rare today. Um, the show has an energy that like they're, they're start playing brother and Trey just randomly yells out to the crowd, like stay out of the alligator pit. And it's these kind of like references <laughs> and inside jokes that he could make that would last the whole show that have no reference point outside of one you know show or one venue. Um, <laughs> The the run like an antelope has fish on trombone. It's got the Simpson signal. Like these were the first times I was hearing this. Like yeah, it's the Reba. Like RJ, you talk about how Reba during this era of the of the tour, this part of the tour, like is probably the highlight of each show. This is one of those. Like it is a twelve minute condensed but every single thing is just it's so powerful. It's so like you you listen back to it and it's the band is fully in command and they are like figuring out little ways to get outside of the song while still staying within Reba. Uh, really good week groove. One of my favorites of the overall tour, uh, excellent sanity where they give, um, the band gives the crew nicknames that they shout out at, you know, Tofa. Um, <laughs> it's just like, it's bizarre. And then in the possum, you get a full secret language instruction. So if you want to know all of these references that the band is making from a secret language standpoint, like this is the, this is one of those versions to go back and listen to. Um, it just has everything. And then an encore of lawn boy and fire because sure, why not? Um, really, really good tape quality. 
Uh, I think it's a soundboard recording, but it's just, and this is a venue that the band will play three years from now, one of their best second sets mm-hmm. ever. You know, it's just, it's, it's wild to hear uh, who this band is in 92 versus where they'll be in 95. I love this show. It's a fluff head is really great too. Like really great textures and sounds and <laughs> that amazing segue to maze. Yeah. This is a really, really great show. I loved listening to this. We did like a bunch of spring 92 lookbacks in 1992. Brian and I did some episodes, some with Benji Eisen, and we listened to a lot of this tour and it was really fun. So if you want to go like deeper, you can go listen to those episodes. Yeah. Back in, we did it for the 30th anniversary. It was fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think one thing I forgot to mention, sorry, in the, when we were talking about 421 is that Holly Bowling did a cover of that version mm. of of tweezer mm. um you can find it on the internet you should everyone should watch it it's really it's it's pretty great um i just can i do another march show sure yeah. man um do it okay so i think they started kind of moving out of the northeast and i think that you know it isn't a clear like you know april and march but i, I do think things started to get a little bit more interesting as they moved out of the Northeast and um, March 25th, they hit tracks in Charlottesville. Um, this is sort of like, you know, they're, they, they stop in Philly on the 21st and then they kind of, you know, they're making their way down, down South, but um, they played six shows at tracks, which is like a famous venue because Dave Matthews band played there back in the day. Dave Matthews was probably at this show. I imagine. I just had kind of imagine that he was at this show. Bartending, but it's just so you know. There, there's a lot of really good um, versions in here. Like their tweezer has a little bit of a gin. The squirming coil is great. Um, all things reconsidered. Trey does a little like moment on all things reconsidered, where he this is only the fourth time it's been played, maybe sixth time or something. Um, and Trey says this is uh, our take on the on the all things considered theme song do you guys know all things considered it's on uh, national public radio it's a show and then he was like <laughs> then he was like we mutilated this song on national public radio live so here is the the unmutilated version apparently they played it and i, I kind of want to find it because it sounded like he was yeah. not happy with the way it turned out but um this is a fun it's a fun show and it's it does feel a little bit like they're kind of opening things up a little bit um but yeah, it's worth it for the for the all things um, reconsidered little thing. And then there's a you enjoy myself into setting sail, which um, which Fishman sings, and um, the the vocal jam in you enjoy myself seems not to have aged well. But we, we don't have to talk about that. Um, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, Megan, well, I have an answer for this question. Okay. Yeah, Go for it. Victor has a question. Which show would you recommend listening to first? I would definitely start in March, like with the show that RJ mentioned, or I'd recommend like 31392 from Campus Club in Providence. Brian mentioned the big black furry antelope from that show, but the set list of the show is just awesome. It has like a monster first set that has a real second set feel to it. You've got some really great, like a great split open and melt, a beautiful fluff head, has like the Wizard of Oz theme at the end. Just the pace and the drive of the show is incredible. Like the first six songs are played at just like a rip roaring speed. And then you've got the big black fairy antelope and you've got really creepy Wilson. They're doing a lot of weird singing in this show where they're like playing with voices and singing in weird ways. And it's kind of fun. They have like a really nice drop into horse and silent in the morning. It's a great show. It's fun. I think you got to start in March and then like pick a few from there and then go into hit the whole April run. 
Yeah, on the April run, um, which we have not mentioned, I mean, we've mentioned this a little bit, but like just a quick focus and shout out to uh, four sixteen ninety two from the Anaconda yeah. Theater in Isla Vista, California. Um, I think that it's it to me, it's either this or four twenty one are the two best shows of the tour, yeah. and um, the two shows that deserve a little bit like why like I, I, they're they're very well praised but like they deserve to like be kind of that stamp of approval from fish.com or fish uh, inc um this show has a really really good forbins mockingbird Iculus, the first since april 6 91 118 shows back into mockingbird it's a really good like mini game henge where like trey gives a lot more backstory in the in the colonel forbin so if you're just coming to the fish scene at this point in time like you get the music side you get the lore side you get a big bust out that people rarely see um it's just like a really well-played show and then in the second set like there's an excellent mic song an excellent week groove um it just like it has a vibe to it that like this show i think was carried over time from tapes being passed out to each other. There were really good soundboard quality tapes of the show. Um, but it just kind of captures everything that we're talking about in terms of that shift that happened in April, where the shows went from being a little bit formulaic, but still very high quality to like that energy, that um, curiosity, the, the kind of risk taking that is going to take over fish shows starts to appear in things like 416 and 421. And this whole run from 416 to 421 is just like, I mean, as RJ mentioned that 418 show rules, um, there's just a lot of quality, quality fish happening right now and a lot of really cool experimentation. Yeah, 200 people at that show at 416. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. It, it's in a, it used to be a bank. Then it was a cool horror arcade. And that's a really cool show. That's it's an interesting Wild. show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Follow Me to Gamehenge was the name of the of the CD bootleg that circulated. Yes. Of that show. The most recent, the most recent uh, Fish Companion has a picture from that show. And it is it looks like it is just one of those shows you see in like a bar where there's like the bar at the back. Yeah. Some standing room and then like a small stage. <laughs> That's awesome. So good. Um, so I was when I was talking about Hood the other the, the a few minutes ago, they so they played a hundred and one songs on this tour across wow. fifty-four shows. So I think that's like the main takeaway is like you hear a lot of the same songs. Yeah. I mean, if you hear Cold as Ice, 87% of the shows, I mean, that's just, it's wild. But most of the, most of the songs you hear, you know, 30 to 50% of the shows. So it's, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of my takeaways is just like, you know, I don't think you'd go back and listen to all 54 shows in a row because it's just, it's, there's just not enough variety, but, but. Once they say Brian, Brian did. Um, <laughs> Brian's like, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, but but they're also playing as usual. They're playing one tour ahead of of their release, right? They're not doing like yeah, a, yeah. It, it's they're like the already Rift playing songs. Rift. Yeah, I don't know if like the record company was like, why don't you like the like, songs that you just put out? Yeah, please, yeah. for the love of God, stop playing these songs. <laughs> Yeah, and then the album comes out next year, and you're like, yeah, everybody already knows those songs, but <laughs> nobody's but it, gonna it worked, buy the album. It worked out for them. It worked but out like the it. same, I don't know, ten thousand people are going to buy the album that are going to go to their shows across the country. Exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they know who they're playing to. And yeah. like Trey said in Alive Again, he said that uh, you know 
they hated Rift when they heard it. Yeah. So I don't think they had a lot of uh, loyalty toward what the record company said. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> they didn't care. It's pretty great. Um, any other takeaways before we before we wrap up? Well, we do need to nominate a live fish show to okay. be released. Um, Go for it. What do you got? What do you think is the show that needs to get the Kevin Shapiro stamp of approval? I don't know. I mean, I, Forrest, I think Forrest, I think a lot of these, like they sound good enough, you know? So I guess I would go back. I think um, for, there's one of those that doesn't sound great. I can't remember if it's 418 or 417, um, but I'm just going to say 418. Let's say 418. Meg, what do you got? I'm going to say 421, even though it's it sounds okay. I just feel like it's an important show, and they should have it on Live Fish. Yeah, my thought was 421 for the same reason. I think you're right. Like There is something to be said about improving the sound of these, and I think yeah. as we've gone through this tour, and we're probably going to think about this for a lot of tours going forward, but um, there's just a lot more early 90s fish that should be released to the public. I think more than anything, like you know, to give it that boost where if certain fans haven't heard this show or just to remember how important, how high quality this show was, just put this on live fish. So it's easy, easily accessible on Apple, Spotify, all that stuff. Um, I just think it's important in that sense. 416 as well was my other thought. Um, yeah. My other takeaway. Um, I mean, I think that this is where the start of the push towards MSG 95 happens. You know, mm. this is Meg was saying this earlier, and I think it's just good to wrap on. This is where Fish realizes ahead of time what they're going to do. They're going, they know at this point they're playing with Santana this summer. Um, they probably know from a business standpoint that, you know, they're going to have the money to up their equipment and that they're going to move into, to, um, uh, auditoriums in spring 93 and bigger theaters. And then they're going, they're not really going to play bars anymore. And then they're going to go after amphitheaters in spring 93. Like they're starting to plan that stuff out because a lot of, as they move up in venues, like you have to plan out your schedule well in advance and the business side of it kind of takes a step up as well as the musical side. And you really just hear this band that is kind of, they've been doing this for a decade now. And this is what they're going to do. And they're really going to make a push for something lasting in a way. Like if Fish breaks up after 92, they've been a great regional band. They've been a fun band for people. They're kind of a cult band that didn't make it. And there's a lot of bands that like have gotten to that level. And that's not to discount that what they did before wasn't impressive. It is. But they're about to do something to like reach the larger culture in America and they're going to make a move for that. And you just, you start to really hear that on this tour. I agree. I think there's a confidence that you can hear on this tour. I think doing a tour this big, knowing that they're going to be, you know, touring with bigger outfits and learning from that. I think what's really interesting to me is that while they're thinking about that, they're really concentrating on developing their audience in a meaningful way still. Like they're still really trying to connect with the audience. And I think that's something that is the reason why as they grow their kind of their, the way that people think about this band and their connection to the band is even deeper and deeper. Like a lot of bands get bigger and people kind of pull away and it becomes this, you know, they become like a radio band and they're not like connecting. And I think the thing that 
hooked me the first time I ever saw fish was the way that they interacted with their audience. And I think that you hear that on this tour of them saying like, okay, we're about to like, you know, level up, but we got to stay us. And like, let's have fun. Let's keep being us. Let's keep being silly. Let's keep engaging with the audience and like connecting with them in meaningful ways. And I think they also just had a ton of stamina and energy that this tour proved that they could, they were ready for that, you know, to do a tour like this is, it takes a lot. Yeah. It's also like, I was thinking about that with the California shows, like, you know, booking their first show at the Warfield, um, booking their first show in a lot of these cities, like they're, um, it was a risk, you know, and it was a risk to go on the tour. And who knows if that, if that 416 show was like a guarantee or if they were getting a a share of the ticket sales or what, but, you know, doing this tour probably cost them a lot of money and Mm -hmm. it, it, it paid off because totally it was a huge tour that, that, that was amazing. And I guess, just I want to just say real quick for those of you listening at home if you if you want to listen to our bonus segment where we're going to talk about a book and or movie that we have read or listened to wait no read or watched um so far this year or listened to or listened to or listened to um that's what we're going to talk about in our bonus segment if you're watching this video you're going to see us because we're going to keep going but if you're listening to the the episode you can go to osirispod.com premium if you want to hear us talk more um next week we have a 74 percent decrease in the number of shows we have to listen to because <laughs> <laughs> thank god we should make everyone happy because we're going to fall 2018 which is only three point shows three point oh we're Crazy. going there we're going there it's next week. So, it's so wild to go from like 1.0 to like earlier in 1.0 to like 3.0. It's just, it's really fun. We are, we are correcting the fan vote on this one as well. It's a major correction. Um, <laughs> big, uh, uh, almost as big of a correction as spring 1992. But uh, it should be fun. Uh, some really, really good jams and a lot to get into. Very cool period in fish history. And we're going to be on Saturday morning again next week. So, um, you know, if you're watching or just, you know, we'll release the the audio on Saturday as we do this week. Um, is there anything else before we before we keep going on our on our bonus up? I think the only thing I want to say is that I completely understand after living in this tour for a couple of weeks. Um, there's a small segment of the fish fan base that wishes the band never evolved past this period. And I can completely understand mm. why there is a truly cult endearing nature mm. to this tour that will be lost a little bit as this band evolves and grows and brings on more fans. And there's definitely a, a segment of the fan base. that's smaller and smaller as this time continues to go on, but you know, wishes this was still fish and I get it. Like there's, there's something about this tour that's special. Yeah. There's an insider feeling to it. There's like a, it's just us and them feeling, you know, you're in on a secret. Yeah. And the band is like directly playing into that secret in a way that they will expand on and serve segments of the audience while serving the whole audience at parts of their, uh, um, you know, like nowadays they do things like the howling. That's not for everyone, but yeah. like yeah. back in 1992, that everything was for everyone. Yeah. That's mm. a good point. That's a good point. Well, okay. So if you are listening, um, we will see you next week for fall 2018. Thank you. Those of you who w- are watching, stick around for a second. Osiris.
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.